Hello, welcome to the Basketball Soapbox. I'm your host, Daniel Daly. Thank you for joining me. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Um, this will be episode five of season three. I'm going to take a look at the Celtics uh, over the past two games and looking at the Lakers and their struggles with Anthony Davis, as well as Chris Paul versus uh, Scott Foster, which has been brewing for years and years and years and has opened up another chapter here uh, with the latest game against the Suns a couple of nights ago as well as looking at Greg Popovich standing up for Kawhi Leonard with the Spurs fans raining boos on the former Spur. Um, but first, let's get into the Boston Celtics here, a tale of two teams over the past two games. Um, I had this graphic made before uh, tonight's in-season tournament game against the Orlando Magic. Obviously, I uh, was going to talk about the Bucks game. Uh, but first, let's talk about the magic here, pulling up the upset victory in the in-season tournament, 113-96. And I don't know what it is, but the Orlando Magic have played us tough for the past couple of years. Even when the Celtics won all those games in a row, they were always tough. Um, but they have lost the last four to the Orlando Magic. And for whatever reason, we just can't beat them. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Uh, they have a good uh, combination of a lot of skilled guards and a lot of uh, – bigs uh that gave it that give us trouble here and mo wagner uh tonight i guess revenge game for us choosing luke cornett over him a couple years ago uh had 27 in the game um his brother franz wagner had 17 points in the game and really just took advantage of their size against us uh with paulo mancaro jonathan isaac um mo wagner <laughs> uh Bizet, i always mess up his name uh the other center that they have they just always have a combination of size and skilled guards that can go against us, and it paid dividends for them tonight, um, really beating us up on the inside there with 60 to 40 uh, points in the paint of advantage of the Magic, as well as the, the rebounding game, uh, 48 to 31, 13 offensive rebounds for the Orlando Magic. And it just seems like ever since uh, – and it's weird because the Celtics are a top five rebounding team in the league, yet they have these moments of teams that have more size than us that can lead on the offensive rebounds um, – in providing their teams with second chance points, points in the paints and things of that nature. Um, it becomes eerily difficult for the Celtics to uh, hold the lead, uh, continue to to win games. It's tough. And especially with the Celtics struggling with Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum struggling, not really able to shoot the ball. Uh, Drew Holiday uh, ankle sprain suffered in the Bucks. I believe the, before the Bucks game um, was not available tonight. Derek White got hurt early on, uh, gutted it out and played 37 minutes. Uh, Christoph Porzingis um, had a weird calf injury, which was strange, um, did not return. Um, and that didn't help the Celtics as the game went on into the later uh, quarters of the game. Um, just providing a little bit of difficulty for the Boston Celtics. And I don't know what it is, but Orlando just just seems to be a, a matchup nightmare. Uh, for this young uh, Orlando Magic team, which is on the rise so far, um, building confidence has won their last one, two, three, four, five, six games in a row um, against the Nuggets, against the Raptors, the Pacers, the Bulls, the Bulls twice, and now the Celtics. So they're building up a little bit of confidence there in Orlando, um, doing it with their size, doing it with Paulo Bencaro leading the way, and really – really, really putting it to teams. And they did that to the Boston Celtics tonight. They're taking advantage of their size. Um, and kudos to them. Kudos to the Orlando Magic. Um, but I wanted to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks game against the Celtics the other night. I believe it was on Wednesday night. Uh, Celtics defeating the Bucks 119-116. And this was a statement game for the Boston Celtics so far for the season. Um, really 
taking the 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 game to the Milwaukee Bucks, really going at them. Jalen Brown had a fantastic game, uh, 26 points and a career high, eight assists, which was shocking on that. Um, to, to pull up that stat, he's been playing a bunch of years, and really to see that uh, part of him uh, really create that uh, two-man game with Christoph Porzingis, obviously. Christoph Porzingis had 21 points in the game, had a big poster on uh, Brooke Lopez. Um, just looking at that game was a statement win for the Boston Celtics. And the difference in the game to me was the bench points um, and having that consistency in offense there for the Boston Celtics. Sam Hauser and Peyton Pritchard had 10 apiece. Al Horford had 11. Um, getting that production versus the Bucks bench who only had 22 points, still struggling to figure uh, their bench out. And I feel like that was the difference there. Um, I believe uh, Brooke Lopez had 28. Dame Lillard had 27. Giannis Antetokounmpo had 21 points, and it just feels like we have a mindset to know how to guard Giannis so far um, these past couple of encounters. And yes, he's going to get his numbers. He's going to have better. He's going to have more better days than bad days against us. But um, it seems like the Celtics have figured out a way to minimize his impact in terms of his scoring efficiency and making him take tough shots um, and making him battle um, uh, when he's attacking the paint there. And I think that's a the Celtics know how to guard them. Now, the Celtics did give up a late run to uh, the Milwaukee Bucks late in the game. I believe they went on a big run towards the end there to cut it, as you see, to three. Um, and that's been the thing with the Celtics, just figuring out how to keep leads um, towards the end of games. Um, but looking at the Boston Celtics as they started off there, making 17 threes, um, looking at the the passion that Jalen Brown came out with, windmilling the ball, <laughs> throwing an alley to Sam Hauser, which had the, the, the garden rocking. Um, you got to look at it from that standpoint as the Boston Celtics looking to make a statement against the Bucks. These are the top two teams in the Eastern Conference. And coming out that that way, um, coming out that strong um, is definitely, definitely a plus for the Boston Celtics. Obviously, they dropped the game here tonight against the Orlando Magic. But looking forward to seeing that they can step up and play these type of teams to that way and facing a bunch of teams over 500 to start so early in this season is a good way to start the season. And that was a big statement win for the Boston Celtics. Um, moving on to my next subject here, and that will be Anthony Davis and the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, when will Anthony Davis be the guy for the Los Angeles Lakers? The Los Angeles Lakers, faithful West Coast ballerinas, I call them fans, are waiting for Anthony Davis to take that leap, take that next step, and be that guy. And to rely on LeBron James, who is still – going in his 21st season to carry the Los Angeles Lakers is very, very, very uh, a troublesome sight for the Los Angeles Lakers so far. Um, Anthony Davis averaging 21 and a half points per game, 12.1 rebounds, nearly three blocks a game and nearly three and a half assists a game. So you're thinking that and you're looking at that. Those are pretty good numbers. But in terms to be that guy, he should be averaging at least where LeBron James is at 25 points per game and providing that on a nightly basis. And so far this season, he hasn't been able to keep that consistency of play night to night where the, the Lakers desperately need him. He's only missed one game so far this season, which is a plus for them. Um, but looking at Anthony Davis so far this season, you have to look at his productions and wins and losses, and that's just what it is. In wins, he's at 24.3 points per game, nearly 13 rebounds a game, and in losses, he's at 17 points per game, 
in roughly around 11 rebounds a game. So looking at that, you see the significant drop off of uh, point production, which is basically what people are looking at superstars. They're looking for them to average 25 plus looking at Anthony Davis, who has been struggling so far in the season, even against that last game against the Dallas Mavericks. He only had 10 points with uh, 13 rebounds on only 10 shots in the game. And that's pretty much not going to get it done. Um, looking at it from that standpoint, um, looking at Anthony Davis, just looking at him, seeing him play over the past couple of games, it always seems like he's gassed, like something's going on, um, going on with him. Stephen A. Smith said about a week ago that he thinks he's out of shape, whatever the case may be. I don't know if it's an asthma thing, but he definitely does look gassed in certain situations. Um, and trying to fill the void defensively for the Los Angeles Lakers, I think that's really something that people are kind of glossing over. He has to do a lot of rotation coverage and battling on the glass and stuff like that. And maybe that's just wearing him down um, to where sometimes he just doesn't happen on some nights. Um, and people are now looking at <laughs> versus LeBron James, who was doing all these uh, putting on uh, who just recently went over 39,000 points um, and seeing his production on a nightly basis and seeing the, the, the gas tank having to be uh, exhausted to win these games in early November um, desperately that they desperately need. They started off the season three and five and in their last couple of games have been six and two in the last eight, they're six and two. So they're getting that production, but then you have these duds from Anthony Davis that bellow the cries of the Laker faithful of what's going on. We're paying this guy. He's supposed to be the guy. He's supposed to be the franchise guys. We're looking at LeBron. Um, uh, we're looking at LeBron doing all these great things into year 21 and you just got to look at the pace they play. They pay They're really in the middle of the pack of the league. Um, they're really not shooting the ball that well. And that's something that has been an Achilles heel for the past couple of years where the Lakers have tried to figure out something there. Um, how can they get into that? Yes. Looking at that Los Angeles Lakers shooting the ball, uh, not particularly great from three. And that was a problem last season. Uh, where they are last in attempt, second to last in attempts in bottom five in efficiency from three point range. So looking at the Lakers, they're very constricted on offense. And, they, and I think the thing that they have to do is rely on their defense like they did a couple of years ago. And I think that's something that they're going to just have to stick with um, until they can figure out their offensive woes. Because um, offensively, they're struggling that and they're trying to figure it out. They're not shooting the ball well. Um, they do get to the line. They do shoot it efficiently from the field, but their three-point shooting is not the best in the league. Um, and it's not something where they're like uh, OKC, who doesn't shoot that many, uh, who don't, who doesn't shoot that many uh, three-pointers, but then are efficient enough to uh, be tops in the league. The Lakers just aren't that. They don't. They're not an efficient team from deep, and I think that's constricting the offense um, and making it difficult to hang in these games build leads and win games as we saw there against the uh, Dallas Mavericks the other night uh, where they got in the hole and tried to make a comeback. And then a late three from uh, Kyrie Irving sealed the game for the Dallas Mavericks. Um, but yeah, just looking at Anthony Davis, he's going to have to figure out a way to step up. Uh, I know Darvin Ham said that he wanted him to take at least six threes a game. He really hasn't been doing that. I believe he's only at what? He's only at a couple a game. He's not, he's shooting less than one, one three a game. Which and I think that Darvin Ham was looking at that from that standpoint of saying, we need you to sp spread the floor. And if you're doing that and you're taking a couple points where you can make a bunch of threes, you don't have to bang in the paint. You don't have to bang on the glass like that. 
So I think that's something that he wanted to institute because he knew this team was going to struggle shooting the ball and needed Anthony Davis to kind of help in that regard. Obviously, they try to get some bunch of shooters over the offseason, Cam Reddish and Gabe Vincent, um, trying to find that. Gabe Vincent hasn't shot pretty well. He hasn't played much this season. Cam Reddish is only shooting 34%. So they're trying to find some type of uh, uh, release valve on this offense and just haven't been able to find it. Austin Reeves is playing better, but not to the level where I think the Lakeville faithful want him to play. Um, D'Angelo Russell is up and down. You don't know what you're going to get from him, even though he's a third consistent scorer for them. But they're really looking at Anthony Davis really, really hard now saying, we need you to step up there um, in L.A. for this team to take the next step. Uh, let me get to my next segment here, which is Chris Paul versus Scott Foster. And this really bubbled up. Uh, <laughs> I believe it was Thursday night a couple nights ago. Um, towards the end of the second quarter, of uh, Chris, Paul, Chris Paul fouled uh, Kevin Durant there. And they went back and forth a little bit. And Chris Paul saying that Kevin Durant flopped. And Kevin Durant, of course, saying, no, nah, no, I didn't. Um, but Scott Foster came over. And Chris Paul started arguing with Scott Foster there. Um, for a little bit back and forth banter, um, proceeding to have Scott Foster uh, administer a tech to Chris Paul, um, pissing off Chris Paul even more and causing Chris Paul to call him a bitch. And obviously that's not going to sit well with any ref um, administering a second tech and getting Chris Paul ejected for only the seventh time in his career. But this has been a battle so far between these two. And Chris Paul basically alluding to the fact that, hey, it happened. This is something stemming from uh, his son a couple of years ago where Scott Foster might have made it a, a comment against his son um, a couple of years ago. And they've just been going back and forth where it's personal and they basically just build up the animosity. Um, this has been stemming from since the Hornets days, going into the Clippers days, going into the Rockets, the Suns, the OKC. Um this is just crazy. Um, playoff record without Scott Foster. Playoff record without Scott Foster is seventy three and fifty six. When Chris fought, when uh, Scott Foster is officiating in those games, he's three and seventeen. Um, Chris Paul has only won one game, I believe, his first one with Scott Foster. <laughs> um, way back with the Hornets, he's won one with the Clippers, and he's won one with the Suns, I believe, in the Western Conference Finals a couple of years ago when they made that run to the NBA Finals. And it's just crazy to think that this one ref has this much impact on a player's career to that standpoint, where it's looking that bad. Of course, you had Steve Javi and uh, Rasheed Wallace in those texts back in the day um, when uh, Rasheed was out there in Portland. Looking at Chris Paul, though, it seems like this is something that's staggering, um, alarming to this point, where it's not looking good anywhere. Like, I don't know how the NBA is sitting here and continuing to have Scott Foster officiate his games. At some point you have to figure out that Chris Paul is, there's something here that shouldn't be here. And Chris Paul has stated many times, especially when he was with the Houston Rockets, that no one's paying to see Scott Foster. And that and that's completely true. And now do I think that Chris Paul should sit there and escalate the situation with verbiage and stuff like that? That happens between players and refs. But the refs can't sit there and make it about them. And for Chris Paul to be a person of the NBA Players Association, president of the, the NBA Players Association, has brought it up numerous times to the referees around the league. Um, 
to continue to have this follow him, to continue to have this stigma around Scott Foster, which seems to be true because of the record that points out there, these altercations that continuously happen year in, year out. How does the league continue to put Scott Foster on these games? And it's just alarming. And I'm not saying that any player deserves any special treatment, but when something is this staggering, something has to be investigated or looked at to be like, why is this such way? Why is it everything to everything else positive, a positive record without you officiating? And now when you you officiate Chris Paul, it seems like there's always a brush up. There's always something happening. And now it leads to an ejection, uh, which desperately affected the uh, Golden State Warriors there against the Suns, and who was already depleted. And you're just looking at it and saying, at what end does this get resolved? And it shouldn't be that complicated. Um, Stephen A. Smith said it on first take that Scott Foster shouldn't be officiating any Chris Paul games. And I agree. He shouldn't. Like, is that alarming? You keep having these brush-ups. And it's just foolish. And the league, not only does Chris Paul think about this, think this about Scott Foster, um, the NBA players around the league, the Athletic did a survey just at the end of last season, I believe, going into the playoffs, who's the most – who's the worst official in the NBA and 25% said Scott Foster, Tony brothers and a couple others came up, um, but significantly lower percentage. The league doesn't like Scott. The, the NBA players don't like Scott Foster. <laughs> and it seems like his, his biggest rival is Chris Paul. And it seems like Scott Foster's winning this battle, continuously being able to officiate his games, continuously able to affect these games with technicals and stuff like that and having a short lease. And I think of the officials, there's a combination there. Of course, the officials have a tough job to do on a nightly basis. It's not easy. You're going to miss some calls, but more often than not, you can make it right. You can do the right thing. And it seems every single step of the way against Chris Paul, it's not going his way. And it's like, it looks pretty bad um, for the referees around the league and then, and the league. Uh, I think the officiating has been, uh, sometimes they let the players play, which I think they should do um, on a nightly basis. And then sometimes they're really ticky-tack fouls. They don't know what to call. They're being less aggressive and things of that nature. And it seems like Scott Foster has a short leash for Chris Paul, which is ridiculous in my opinion and should be looked at desperately. Uh, moving on to my last segment here, Greg Popovich and Kawhi Leonard. Um, Greg Popovich a couple of nights ago <laughs> during the, the 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 Spurs faithful roaring roaring boos down on Kawhi Leonard uh, in an unprecedented move that I, we've never seen before. Um, I can only think about other times when uh, coaches grabbed the PA system. It was Mo, Mo Cheeks uh, helping that girl back and way back in Portland uh, sing the national anthem. Um, Larry Bur- Larry Brown at the uh, course of the malice in the palace telling fans to stop throwing stuff get back to your seats let the players figure it out get the players off the, the the court that's the only other two times i can really think about a coach grabbing a mic and speaking to the audience in some form, form or fashion um greg popovich coming out and saying to the spurs faithful as Kawhi leonard was at the line and respectfully so they're going to boo him um, he's not wearing a spurs uniform and greg popovich saying that's not who we are we're betting we're better than this Let's let the players play, and which is crazy to me because that's naturally what fans are supposed to do to opposing teams. 
regardless if they play there or not. They are not in your jersey. They're not playing for your state. They're not playing for your team. You have every right to boo them. And Greg Popovich really just, I feel like this was just a weird moment for him, uh, who I think is the greatest coach of all time, um, to take this move and say to a former player, um, we shouldn't boo him. We shouldn't let the players play in the sport where booing and Jaren, that all that is a part of the game. When you go to play and pick up, people are on the sidelines talking crap all the time. When you go to the NBA game, fans are talking crap all the time. Um, so to see this from Greg Popovich and him saying, hey, we're not aware above this um, in the post game saying, hey, we don't poke the bear, basically saying, hey, you don't wake him up. Um, as a team who just recently lost to nine and has lost 11 in a row, <laughs> I don't think that's the issue with uh, 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 the fans booing uh, the opposing team. Um, so looking at it from that standpoint, it's very, very weird. And a lot of people have pointed out, of course, over the couple of years, the past what decade, that Greg Popovich has been pretty damn short with the media and in terms of their engagement and how he goes at them and tell them that they're asking stupid questions, which sometimes is warranted. That's definitely, definitely warranted at times. But looking at it from that standpoint and then looking at this situation where he's saying we shouldn't boo him is very, very strange. And <laughs> I just came up with the weird conclusion that he's looking to kind of mend those fences with Kawhi a little bit there and seeing how Kawhi Leonard is a free agent and that the Spurs might have some cap space, maybe roughly 35 to $40 million. Maybe they can make some trades to boost that up. Um and maybe make an offer towards Kawhi Leonard. Maybe that's what I'm looking at it from that standpoint. That's the only angle I can think of because you have Victor Wembenyama. Maybe you add Kawhi. Maybe you have some defensive tandem there. Maybe you're seeing something that we're not. Um, but to just think of that, you're just grabbing the mic um, for your first time ever. So I believe he's been coaching since nine, 1996, 1997 season. Um, to think that you're just doing that because you're tired of the booing is ridiculous. And the Spurs are one of the best fan bases in the league. They show up, they show out, um, they love their team, they support their team. To sit there and turn on the fans and basically say, hey, we don't want you guys to boo our former player and, and boo the opposing team is wild and a very questionable point for Greg Popovich. And I'm the only thing that I can come to the conclusion is that hey, he wants Kawhi Leonard back on the Spurs next year. And that's the play he's playing. And that's the only thing I can think of. And I'm not saying that they don't have the mutual respect, him and Kawhi and stuff like that. They did win a championship together. Um, they did trade for Kawhi Leonard on draft night. So to look at it from that standpoint, it isn't like there isn't a history between those two. Um, but it's crazy. As I said, even Kawhi Leonard said, hey, as long as I'm not wearing a Spurs uniform, they're probably going to boo me. So that is very surprising to look at Greg Popovich and see him here. Um, take this route. And I'm just confused by it. Um, and hopefully they can figure that out because I'm just like, I don't understand that point. And seeing how the Spurs lost 11 in a row, obviously they're not trying to win. They're playing Jeremy Shohan at a point guard when they have Tyus Jones' um, brother, I believe, Um as the backup point guard when he's naturally a point guard. So looking at it from that standpoint, the Spurs are not trying to win. Um, very weird in their tanking season so far this season. 
So um, I can only see this as a ploy to try to get Kawhi Leonard back and they can try to build something um, promising around the league. That's the only thing I can come up to. Um, but that will do it for this episode of the Basketball Soapbox. Thank you guys for joining me. Don't forget to check out Ring Takes, my uh, wrestling podcast that continues to go on. Uh, Survivor Series is tonight as well. A lot of things we already made our picks, so check that out as well. Um, and thank you for joining me. And we'll continue to go on with this in-season tournament, which I will talk to about at some point. I'm also looking to do a quarter-season recap when we get around the 20-game mark of the NBA season. Um and talk about that and see what we talked, uh, see what we uh, like around the league so far and things that I'm looking at and seeing uh, so far in this NBA season. Um, but thank you for joining me. Uh, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. And as always, until next time.